coming up. It's time for a day six trip to the California Science Center to check out their new Pixar exhibit. That's next. From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 626. For the week of November 6, 2016, the Diz Unplugged Disneyland Edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, helping you plan the perfect Disneyland vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm your host Tom Bell and I'm joined by my good friends Nancy Johnson. Hey! Mary Jamalata Willie. Hello! And Michael Bowling. Hey there, hi there, ho there! All right, so I, I, the California Science Center has some fun things going on. Mary Jo checked them out. I did. This is the third time that I've gone back and worst, talked about that's it. That's the worst intro ever. I apologize, Mary Jo, but go ahead. That's that's all right. Um, well, I just want to talk a little bit uh, as an introduction to the Science Center to tell everybody where it's at, because we're always talking about um, going to the Science Center. So I want to say that the, it's located in a place called Exposition Park in Los Angeles, which is a 160-acre area located just south of downtown Los Angeles next to the USC campus and about 30 miles west of the Disneyland Resort. It originally was called Agricultural Park and was an agricultural fairground back in the 1880s. It's been around for quite a while. There once used to be a racetrack where horses and even camels competed, and there is now, in that same location, a beautiful rose garden. In the early 1900s, the city began changing the park to focus on more gardens and the museums. Today, Exposition Park is home to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, where they had the 1932 and 84 Olympics, and where the L.A. Rams play today, the L.A. 84 Foundation John C. Argue Swim Stadium, the upcoming Bank of California Soccer Stadium, which is replacing the L.A. Sports Arena, due to be finished in 2018 and home to be of the L.A. Football Club, the Exposition Park Rose Garden that I mentioned earlier, the California African American Museum, Expo Center, the Science Center School and Amgen Center for Science Learning, the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles, and the California Science Center with its IMAX Theater. So there's a lot going on in the Exposition Park. And like I said, the um, the new soccer stadium is under construction right now. They've kind of raised the L.A. sports arena to the ground. So when you go over there, now there's some construction, but it really doesn't get in the way of getting to the Science Center. Um, today we are going to focus on the California Science Center, and in particular the current visit, visiting exhibit there, the science behind Pixar. Um, one thing I do want to emphasize, if you're planning on visiting this exhibit, to make reservations ahead of time if possible um, and online. The best option is the IMAX Movie Science of Pixar Exhibit Combo Pack. A cool side bonus is that with the Pixar Exhibit admission, you automatically have admission to see the Endeavor Shuttle. And I'll say a little bit more about that later on. The Science Behind Pixar exhibit is open from 10 a.m. and the last entry is 3.30 p.m. The exhibit will be at the Science Center through April 16th, 2017. So you still have some time uh, to make your reservations and go. The Science Behind Pixar. The exhibit highlights the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics uh, STEM 
and computer science concept used every day at Pixar. So that's what they call um, STEM is the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I recently visited the Science Center with my good friend Brenda, and after a light lunch in the Science Center food court, because we were starving, we went up to the third floor to see the exhibit, which is the same location that had the Pompeii exhibit that Nancy and I saw a year or two ago. It's a great Although space. There's us- yeah, it is a great space, because it's out of the way, and they can really focus on, on whatever subject they want to um, show us. And although there is a queue to get in, we didn't have long to wait. There they really warn you before you go to be careful because during the weekend, a lot of families do go there, but we were kind of lucky that we were able to pretty much uh, walk in without a large queue. The exhibit is in three or maybe four sections, as you'll see. The first room that you walk into is a small screening room where you watch a short video, gives you a tour of Pixar Studios by a couple of their animators, showing the different areas and the steps it takes to make a Pixar film including the challenges they faced in making each picture, like how do you create texture like fur? How do you create light and shadows and the fullness that's in the computer-generated characters and other challenges that they have faced? I almost want to call them the animaginators because they think of an element and then they figure out how to do it, just like Disney Imagineers do for the Disney parks. After the short video, um, where you do learn a bit, you walk into a rather large room. It's about 1,200 square feet, 1,200, I'm sorry, 12,000 square feet. <laughs> and the room is filled with screen-based activities and physical interactive exhibits that allow visitors to experience different roles, such as lighting designer, animator, modeler, camera technician, etc. There are more than 40 interactive exhibit elements broken up into eight sections that give us a glimpse into the production pipeline and concepts used at Pixar. Besides the hands-on experiences, you can also watch the studio production teams explain the different processes they use to create a Pixar film. Around the exhibit, you'll see some fun life-size Pixar characters, including Buzz Lightyear, Dory, Mike and Sully, Edna Mode, and Wally. You can stand right next to some of them and in front of others to pose for pictures. The first thing that you see when you step in are the life-size figures of Sully and Mike. This area demonstrates rigging which is the backbone of the character. The digital rigs are literally the virtual bones, joints, and muscles that allow the models to move. The rigging section allows us to understand why it's important to have the right kind of rigging for the different characters. So next to Sully and Mike, they've got this screen that kind of has, you know how you see sometimes the um, kind of like the cage effect that they show when they're showing the animated, the data for the animation. And then this kind of shows a spine and like let's say the skeleton of Sully walking, which is right next to the large figure. The rigging, um, some need, oh, okay, so we're talking about the different characters. Some, So some characters need very elemental bone structure and joints, and some need a lot of joints to move. For instance, think of Mike Wazowski and Randall, where Mike doesn't need much, I, I said was. Wazowski, you did right. Mike Wazowski. Okay. Mike Wazowski. Okay, so Mike doesn't, <laughs> so he doesn't need much movement, right? His arm just kind of like, you have that angle of the, of the forearm and just moving up and down. But Randall needs a lot of joints because he's a snake or a snake type monster that, um, so he has to curve and everything like that. So to kind of ex- give an example of the, these type of shapes, they have a, a shape on a, on a board and then they have three different 
joints where you have to choose the correct one to create that shape to kind of illustrate um, what it takes to create the different limbs and other um, shapes that the figures do have. They have other rigging stations where you can try out other concepts that they have there. The next section is modeling and Buzz Lightyear stands here. There's different parts of this area too that include a, one includes a case with examples of modeling characters or maquettes as they're called, and they show how they make them so that you can use them when creating the computer animations. There's a small lots of hug and bear, but no strawberry scent, and they illustrate Aww. how they get to a 3D figure from the skill, not that I smelled them to make sure, but I'm imagining he didn't have a scent. <laughs> um, oh, no, so the virtual modeling right works. <laughs> um, the virtual modeling workstation allows you to create the 3D models yourself. Uh, there is also a workstation that allows you to build the sculptured models using magnetic pieces. So there's a cool little Wally that I wanted to build, but there were some children there, so I had to just content myself with watching them. Um, you're challenged at that workstation to see how many different model robots you can make from the different parts. They also have a lighting section that features a large dory poised in front of a beautiful underwater background. You can pose with her. But there's also a workstation there where you can change the lighting for the scene, causing the water to be like a deep blue purple, I mean a deep blue to a purple type color and other lighting elements. So you never know quite what you're going to get when you're standing in front of her. Kind of like Sleeping Beauty where the fairies keep changing from pink to blue. So that was happening when I was posing with Dory and I ended up with a blue background. But it was fun watching the families and the kids play um not really play, but experiment, let's say, with these different elements to change the lighting. Um, the kids were, you could tell they were learning a lot when they were over there. The, there's another section called Camera Basics that has a life-size Wally here. And you could, you could stand right next to that figure as well as Dory. And I had to take a picture with Wally. In this section, you stand, you can also stand in a certain spot and focus your camera. And what they've done is they have a Rubik's Cube in front of Wally, then they have Wally, and then they have the background. So there they tell you to either focus on the Rubik's Cube or focus on Wally or focus on the background. And you see how the different, how different the pictures are depending on what it is that you're focusing on. And if you don't have a camera, they have a lens there with a kind of like little, that tell you, you know, try this, try this, you know, focus on the Rubik's Cube, focus on Wally. So it was, I kind of spent some time there with my iPhone, uh, working with my focus. I think that's what you call it. So I, I spent quite a while there trying to see the different types of effects or of the pictures that I would take depending on what I focused on. So like when I focused on the Rubik's Cube, the whole, the cube was whole lit, was all lit up. Um, and when I focus on Wally, the Rubik's Cube was kind of dim. You could see one side and not the other. So it was pretty cool. Uh, one of the many things we don't realize about computer animation is the necessity of using math. And when you guys think of these Pixar films, do you ever think about the math that goes into uh, creating the scenes? Yes. The math? Yes. Mathematics? Yeah, mathematics. Um, here you learn how math is used to set up the position, the angle, and the scale of the various objects. Uh, one of the workstations has you work changing the X, Y, and the Z axes to manipulate the 3D animation of Mike Wazowski. 
They also use Lightning McQueen to show how it's called BRDF or the bidirectional reflectance distribution functions work mathematically to describe the way light scatters off of a surface and how they use math to make his body look like metal. It was really interesting and I, the way they explain it didn't go over your head. It was just, they had really good illustrations and then also samples that you could do to, so that you can see how the math helps do these, um, these different surfaces. Uh, they had to figure this out when they were working with cars so they could show a shiny new Lightning McQueen to a polished but not shiny Lizzie to a pretty rusty Mater. So these are all elements that they worked on when they did cars that they had to figure out how do you, how do you do this? And then they show us in the exhibit how they, how they actually do it for the, for the movie. Then you have the section for surfaces, which I really liked. This one had some cool workstations that allow you to choose different surfaces, uh, which concentrate on the appearance of shape. So some of the examples using Remy from Ratatouille demonstrate how they use shading in creating surfaces like copper pipe, red onions, or a worn pot handle. The surface appearance workshop also shows how to create smooth versus textured appearances. So they show you this reflective sphere um, that's showing the the reflection of a kitchen and you have to choose the different elements. So you choose the color pattern, the level of texture, or smoothness, the level of transparency and the level of reflection to match the sphere in the example that they give you. So this one took a little while because you had to get just the right elements to make it match it. So that was pretty fun to do also and a good learning experience. Another demonstration lets you choose the type of coating you want on a car hood, including, um, they said it was Ramones, but they had, uh, you chose the type of surface, the pattern logo, and whether it was a metallic or, or a matte finish. And you could see how that would affect the different cars in the movie. Then we come to the sets and camera section. Um, your granddaughter, oh, well, actually Lily and Zoe would like this section too. Well, Lily and Zoe would like the whole thing, to tell you the truth. But I think your granddaughter, Michael, would also really like this a lot. You have the sets and camera section, and it's Ant's Island from Bugs Life, and it has these bubbles set into the scene so the kids can go underneath and poke their heads up and look through the bubbles at the grass so they get the bug's eye view of it. Um, Yeah, that's for them. And then there's screens around the area that use controls. So there's cameras also set up and the controls on the screen show the camera's point of view or the perspective, whether you're looking up to the tree down in the grass, uh, you have to look, um, there's a, a light that's behind there. So you have to make sure that the light doesn't blur out the scene or, you know, make it too bright so you can't see anything. So it shows you how the animators create these scenes and then use a camera so they can then draw what it would look like to go through the grass from the bug's eye view and then look up at the tree. It was really, really interesting. Um, they also have a rotated shape section that shows you how they make shapes like cones. For instance, the traffic cones used in Toy Story. The workstation here allows you to rotate the shapes and they have to figure out how the shapes will look from different angles. So if you imagine when the, uh, remember how the Toy Story characters are running across the street underneath that traffic cone and you're seeing it from different angles. So they have to figure out how it would look and how to make it uh, realistic when you're watching the, the movie. 
The workstation for extruded shapes is something a little bit different. They use Ratatouille to show how they gain. Again, they're using math and they're going from a two-dimensional shape. Think of a, of a circle and how they make it extend to a three-dimensional shape. And in this instance, they use Alfredo Linguini's chef's hat. So they show how they extend. And it's, like I said, they're, they're using mathematics to create these these images and it's all wireframe with no finishes to it. Um, another cool section is where they show simulation and how important it is for the continuity and flow of the animation. They use Brave to show this this um, effect and they have scenes of her with and her mother on their horses and when the simulation is on or off it, there's a big difference. So when the simulation was off the animation was choppy. For instance Merida's hair normally flows beautifully but when the simulation was off, her hair was off her scalp. So they showed her moving, but her hair was hovering above her scalp. The horse's manes were also choppy, and the queen's Queen Eleanor's hair was in weird sections. And so there was somebody, I mean, not somebody, but people can go to the panel, and you can either show, um, have the simulation off or on while the scene is being played on the screen. So it was kind of cool to see... Um, if you guys can think of um, Haunted Mansion where you're going down the hallway and you see the beautiful pictures in the hallway and then they turn into skeletons, it was kind of that kind of effect for me because the kids kept switching them off and on. So you'd see a beautiful Merida and then you'd see this Merida that was kind of bald with her hair covering behind her and stuff like that. So I think it's another cool way. And they, that was just one scene. They had other scenes. Like they showed a... Um, a kettle with potion that was like boiling red and with the anim with the simulation off it didn't make sense it was just all like broken up um and unfocused and then with the simulation on it just all melded together so that was another really cool area throughout the entire room there's kiosk called working at pixar and if you push the button the pixar animator explain each how each element that of the area that you're in is how they use it in their animated films. So there's other features in this room and every station when I was there had adults, children, or a combination of both exploring through them. It was really interesting because now that I think about it, there were no young kids running around. Everybody was engaged at the different stations, uh, trying them out and, and either watching something on the video or actually something in 3D that they were building or something that was animated that they were creating. So it was, it was really cool. And since the center controls the crowd levels, even though it was busy, it wasn't, you weren't waiting such a long time for your turn up at the stations. And there were quite a few around. So I just think that their, um, the way they handled their crowd control was really good. So then you leave this particular room and then you go into the third part of the exhibit that has more examples that show what goes into the making of a Pixar movie. Um, and Edna Mode is, she's here. So I had to take a picture with her because Teresa likes Edna Mode. Um, in this section, we're shown how animation itself is created where the characters that are made now act out scenes. Uh, we get to use the famous Pixar lamp that we see in, at the beginning of every Pixar movie. So it's set against a wall and then there's, it's, you can move it with an arc. So it's a, it's a physical lamp that's attached to the wall and you can make it go from one end in an arc to the other end. And the way it's set up, it doesn't drop. So you can move it a little bit. Then they have this camera 
that's set up in front of there. So you move your, you move the Pixar lamp and any, sh- any, uh, configuration that you want it. You know how you could stretch it out or, or push it down. You take a picture and you keep doing this until you get to the other end and then you play your little movie that you made and it shows how the stop action or stop motion works, um, for these type, um, of animation. So that was kind of fun. So there was a, a young lady who was moving the lamp and then I was pushing the button to take the picture and then we saw our film together. Um, another workstation has you making mic wave, uh, using curves. Again, you demonstrating how math works to make animation work. Um, there's a, a section in this part of the exhibit that's, it's pretty simple, but I like it because it ties in all of these different elements. You know, you're walking in the rooms from exhibit to exhibit, but what this, this is, is a big circle and you stand within the circle and you look up on top and it shows you the steps in the pipeline to make the animated feature. So they use joy from inside out to show the eight steps. There's story and art where the concept of any animated feature begins. There's modeling rigging surfaces and for instance the challenge in inside out was they had to create a surface of light for joy right because she's made up of a bunch of pixels uh, then there's sets and cameras animation simulation lighting and rendering and though there's a pipeline there's a lot of cross-reference in order to make the characters and the scenes flow together so it's not linear um, they'll do they'll make their part and as they move down the the pipeline They'll do a check and balance. If something doesn't work, they send it back to to fix and whatever it is that's not coming out clear. So then part of the animation that ties it all together is called the rendering process. It takes all of the data that was used to make the 3D animation and puts it into 2D images. So oftentimes they have to render scenes to make sure that their math is correct or that the surfaces have been created realistically or the animated lighting is working so that there's a lot of back and forth um, as they work towards the finished product. The workstations and demonstrations in the third section of the exhibit tie up the process explanation for Pixar animated features. Um, and in addition to showing various colors used to show the shadow and shadowing and lighting, we also get a demonstration on how Pixar saves money when making an animated feature. For instance, more detail goes into the main characters, where in comparison, characters in the background or the crowds would use a much less definition. And they showed us an example, like in the movie Up. Remember all the balloons that he has? And you have a, a simple red balloon. But when you look at the colors in that balloon, there's purple, orange, different shades of red to make it look... Um, 3D and, and spherical. So it was um, examples like that that are just really, really interesting uh, for the for the whole thing, the whole um, exhibit. And I guess you could say that the fourth section of the exhibit ends in typical Disney fashion. A, sh- <laughs> a, a shop, a shop, <laughs> gift shop. Uh, a shop with a lot of cool merchandise, um, from plushes to clothes to toys, books, backpacks, throw blanket, throw blankets, and other items from the movies that they had in the exhibit. So, like I said, the the whole area was just really busy with people um, interested and and talking to each other, and it was just really really nice. Um, so after the Pixar exhibit, we went to go see the Endeavor. Uh, the Science Center website says that you have to make reservations to see the Endeavor on weekends and holidays. And even though we didn't make them, there really wasn't a, a queue, so we were able to go right in. We had to turn in our Pixar tickets that 
to see the Endeavor. So even though they didn't collect our tickets, I was really surprised when we went to go and to see Pixar, they didn't collect our tickets. But when we went to see the Endeavor, then they took them from us. So don't lose your tickets. So here's a, a little heads up to hold on to the tickets. Don't until you leave the, the science center or until they collect them, collect them from you. So even though we've already talked about the Endeavor in another segment, I'm just going to give a little bit info that we learned when we were there this last time. We learned a few things about the shuttles and the Endeavor itself. Um, there's four remaining shuttles. I'm sure a lot of you know that. The Enterprise was a test shuttle that never went to outer space and or into space. Do you guys know where it's located? New York City. Okay, that's one New York. Which I didn't know. Yep, once in, in Houston. Once in Houston, right? No. The Atlantis. Where do you guys think it is? Florida. Kennedy Space Center. Okay. Cool. The Discovery. This one makes sense. Is at the Smithsonian at Washington D.C. Right. And the Endeavor is at the Science Center in Los Angeles. So how lucky are we of the three shuttles that actually went in space? One is here in Los Angeles. And also at the Science Center is the only external tank that exists. You know that big orange tank that the shuttle is attached to on takeoff? Mm-hmm. They had made – it's. this is a real tank. They um, NASA had it in reserve in case something happened to one of the other ones, and they never used it. But they did um, test, do tests on it after the um, Columbia disaster to, to test that insulation foam that they had on it. So the, NASA donated it to the Los Angeles Science Center, and the external tank and the Endeavor will be set up in the future in launch position. So it's going to be the only shuttle that's going to be in launch position, and they're yeah. building a whole, um, a whole uh, pavilion around it. It's going to be three levels. Um, it's going to be um, the air gallery, the space gallery, and the space shuttle gallery. Um, when there will be different levels where people can look at the shuttle and, and everything around it. And right now, you can go outside. You can see the the, the uh, external tank is laying on its side. So I just thought that was really cool. I'm, I forget what year. They have a lot of docents they, that volunteer at the Endeavor shuttle, you can talk to any of them. Some of them have actually worked at the companies that built the shuttle. And of course they have a lot of information. There was a very friendly lady talking to us who was telling us these, these, um, this data. She had a little book with her and that she was going through a little notebook. So I just think it's so exciting that we have this, um, at our science center and that we're going to, that they'll, they'll be, um, doing all of that. So I can say that you can spend just about an entire day there looking at the visiting exhibits like the signs behind Pixar and the permanent exhibits like the Endeavor and the many others that I didn't even talk about today. To see the Pixar exhibit, um, I think that the best option is the combo exhibit. It's the, it's the combo exhibit in IMAX movie. And they have different space movies. They also have one called... Um, which I it's called Voyage Through Time, which talks about time from the beginning of Earth. So I thought that that one's one that I would really like to see. They also have one on the national parks and three of them on space that I think are really cool. I think I've already seen the one on the International Space Station. 
Uh, that ticket for the combo is twenty one forty five for adults over eight, eighteen and above. Uh, kids four to twelve are thirteen seventy. Students with ID and senior citizens, which are sixteen above, are sixteen seventy. If you only want to see the exhibit, which is what I did, uh, the adult ticket is fourteen ninety five. Kids are nine ninety five. Students and seniors are eleven ninety five. If you want IMAX only, the cost is eight fifty for adults, five twenty five for kids. Students and seniors is six twenty five. Now is that above the All cost trend- of the admission to the museum, or is the museum free? The museum's free. Okay. Yeah. The museum is free. You just have to pay for parking, which is sixteen bucks. I have a question. If this is a day six event for folks staying at the Disneyland Resort, how easy is it to get here via public transit? It is super easy. Yes. Um, there's a metro stop right outside the the these museums, so it, it steps away from a from metro stop. So there's a couple of ways to do it. I looked it up on Google, and you can you can either take it was a Orange County Transit and the metro combined, or you could take the metro or the um, the line to the Union Station and then take um, the metro from the Union Station to the Science Center. Or you could take bus all the way. Do you know about how long of a journey that is? Two hours. No, oh, each so way. D- depending the the bus metro combo was two. It was a little under two hours, and the metro only combo was almost two and a half hours. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because like because Anaheim to Union Station's only what forty minutes. Well, let's just say at the time that I looked it up on Google, so okay. maybe it was, you know, depending what the schedule was. Yeah. And I also looked at at um, rush time. Okay. So I, I would say look um, by all, you know, check it, check Google before you go or if you use Waze like we do or, or Google Maps on your on your phone, whatever map you use to do it. But it's very accessible. It's just time, you, uh, time commitment. And then to drive there, I would say probably an hour, maybe it would take, you would go, um, you would take the 405 North to the 91 West, like you do when you go to the airport, but then you'd go to the 110 North, which is the same freeway we take to go to downtown LA. So on the 110, you're going to see downtown LA, you know, in the distance in front of you on the right, you'll see the San Gabriel mountains and Mount Wilson in the background. And on a clear day, like this past weekend, you can see the Hollywood sign in the Griffith Park Observatory off to the left. And then from the 110, you get off on Martin Luther King Boulevard, you turn left, turn right onto Figueroa. Um, yeah. Exposition Park will be on the left-hand side. You turn left, and you can't miss it because you can see the Coliseum and everything there. Uh, you just follow the signs to the Science Center parking. And like I said, it's $16, so be sure to have that cash on hand when you get there. It's good. Um, the other... Then- as I, I was s- going to say the other go route, ahead, if they want to just go straight up the five, is is five to the ten to the one ten south. They'll take them through yeah, downtown, and it would be fun to combine that with a an evening like if if say somebody's playing at the Staples Center, or there's a big you know concert or event or something at the Staples Center. That would be a great combo. Do that in the day and then go there at night. Yep, it's it's su- it's super. It's really close. It's probably like 10, 15 minutes from downtown LA. It, it Last, probably surfaces because the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, except we, we have that traffic. So we always yeah, add to it, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, 
Um, so when you make your reservations, okay, and just to let you just to let you know, all the transactions have a small service fee. It was a dollar each for us. Um, from what I can see, because I was checking, the Endeavor only is a free ticket, but you pay the transaction fee. So it's really a couple of bucks. They charge $2 for the Endeavor. That was with that transaction fee. Um, when you do make your reservations, do them far enough in advance so that you can choose your movie and time and then the time to see the exhibit. Um, before you can, if you're going to do a combo, you have to choose your movie. You have to choose your day. You have to choose your movie. You have to choose what time you're going to see the movie. And then they'll tell you what time you can see, um, that you can go to the Pixar exhibit. You can't do, you don't do Pixar first and then the, the movie. Now, if you want to do Pixar first and then the movie, then you do them separate. It's going to cost you a little bit more money, but it's up to you. Um, how you want to do that. We didn't get the movie. I'm glad I didn't because um, our time just didn't work out. The exhibit, I would say, takes half an hour and a half, I mean, to two hours. If you have kids, like Wes would be really interested in all of these. He'd be reading right. everything, pushing every button, minimum two hours. I would be pushing to see button. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's, there's, there's a lot to see. Um, one and a half hours, you would get a pretty good understanding of how Pixar works. I really liked how they presented, um, presented the, the whole exhibit and it's one that I would recommend. So I'll just say in summary, I, I really, like I said, enjoyed visiting the science of Pixar. I recommend it for both adults and children. I saw just as many adults at the interactive workstations as kids. And they were there by the, they, they weren't there explaining it to the kids. They were interested in what they had to say. And then they had enough workstations that the kids could understand and they were also entertained and engaged in it. What I really liked is that Pixar broke down, broke down their process so that the average person can get a decent understanding of the complexity of making computer animated movies. I had no idea. You know, we always hear that these movies take a few years, right? We see, uh, what do we call them? Easter eggs of movies years before the, that actual movie has come to screen. And you're, they're still storyboarding it and, and building these elements that they have to create for the, for the animated feature. So it lets you appreciate the ingenuity that this type of art takes to bring it to the screen and to us without getting too complex. So that's over our heads. It's also a great introduction to those budding artists that have this talent and would like to pursue this type of venue. You know, you have these these math students, you know, and they can actually get into this animation because there's things that they would do that would bring something to it. Um, like I said, I recommend a couple of hours to explore the exhibit, another hour to explore the Endeavor exhibit, and a half hour to see one of the IMAX movies. When you add all the other permanent exhibits that they have at the Science Center, it's a three-story building with stuff and filled with all kinds of cool things to see. You could spend a full day there. It's usually open 10 to 5, and there goes your day. Then you could do like what Nancy said, you know, go over to LA Live. They have mo they have a lot of cool things happening over there or to Staples Center. Or you can do what I did with my friend. We went to Alvera Street, had some yummy taquitos, and and kind of in just enjoyed the day over there. But it was really cool. Very cool. All right. Thank you, Mary Jo. Thank you, everyone. That's going to do it for this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Be sure to catch all of our other Diz Unplugged podcasts this week. And, of course, we will be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, 
Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening.